Hello everyone, it's Dan. Welcome to episode 59 of Eventually Super Train, and apparently it's the Christmas season. If you're listening to this out of the Christmas season, my apologies. But hey, isn't this lovely? Eventually Super Train, episode 59, the short-lived TV show podcast. Now tell me, did you think the song was going to go there? It's awesome, isn't it? So... I, I don't remember what I was talking about, and I, 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 I gone all disco in my pants. All right, Adventure Super Train episode fifty-nine, short-lived TV show podcast. We are covering this episode, the fifteenth episode of Bourbon Street Beat, with my good friend Mitchell Hadley. I am covering the third episode of Future Cop with my good friend Me, and sadly. But I think we go out pretty cool. I'm, I'm going to put the ladies in the background just a little. <laughs> it's very tough to introduce a podcast when this is happening, but that's part of the fun. What was I saying? Oh, yes. Burma Street Beat, Future Cop, and Kristen Hawes, a.k.a. Kiki Writes About, and myself will be discussing the 26th and final episode of Green Hornet. So... Take a deep breath, everyone. This episode's a little longer than usual, but it's the last episode of a show. Those always go longer. So please, uh, hunker down, and let's go to New Orleans. Yeah. Oh, Christmas tree, you're doing a disco thing on me. Street Beat. Bourbon Street Beat. Starring Richard Long. In New Orleans. Andrew Duggan. This is the blues. With Arlene Howell and Van Williams. Produced by Warner Brothers. Episode 15, Inside Man, January 11th, 1960. Rex is on the West Coast visiting his sister and brother-in-law. His brother-in-law is a cop, and he goes to the morgue. Well, the brother-in-law goes to the morgue with another cop, and they invite Rex along, and they find the body of one of the members of Luke Ballard's gang, who everyone believes had uh, committed a mail car uh, robbery, a train robbery, uh, some time back, and they're trying to catch Luke. Luke loves two things, committing crime and his ma, Ma Ballard. His ma is very much like, come on, get out there, Luke, you can do it, you're going to be the best, you're going to be the best criminal ever, you're going to do this and you're going to make it rich and uh, this kind of thing. She's uh, she's really not that great a mom. And Luke is one of those kind of super gangstery guys who's just like kind of unpleasant to talk to and always wants respect, whether or not he deserves it or has earned it. And he also gets these these stabbing pains in his head sometimes, as you do. One night, the brother-in-law sees Luke, tries to catch him, is shot dead. What Luke does, because he's in de- even deeper trouble now, is he goes out of state where he knows a uh, crime has been committed and the cops are looking for the perpetrator. He goes and fesses up to this crime out of state and gets put in the pokey. And the crime took place around the same time as the train robbery, so they can't pin him down on that because he confessed to this other crime. 
the cops and the FBI and everybody says we need to put an inside man in there. We need to find out what's going on with Luke. We need to find out what he's up to. We need to find out about the train robbery, this, that, and the other thing. And they let Rex do it. And Rex becomes the inside man and he goes inside and he sort of ingratiates himself a bit with Luke and as much as you can. And meanwhile, you know, his gang is still doing stuff and there's some dissension there and uh, Rex is in prison. Yeah, trying to figure out what Luke is up to. Very quickly, we learn that Luke is up to a bunch of things, and Rex uh, may get uh, may get in some trouble sometime soon, or he may not. To be honest, if you've seen the episode, you know how it ends. You know where it goes. And also, that plot line. If you haven't seen the episode, you also still might know where it goes. But now it's time to hear from Mitchell and me. Let's give a blast. <laughs> This is an interesting one, folks. Um, I don't know if you recognized any, saw anything familiar in that synopsis I just gave. Maybe Mitchell Hadley did. I wish I had him here. Mitchell? Hello. Hello. Hey. How are you? How are you? Good. (laughs) What's going on? Oh, I'm just sitting here thinking about um, Inside Man. Mm, yes, and and when we uh, dive into your thoughts on it, um, feel free to say what you think this might be. I I don't know if based on is a strong enough word. No, I don't <laughs> think it is. I I if if you're familiar at all with the gangster movie White Heat, oh. this is it. Yes, yeah, we will. I don't think I'm giving anything away at the beginning by saying that. Nope, nope, nope. Especially when I open my synopsis with, Top of the world, Ma! That No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that, but that happens in here. Um, it does. Or, or did I do that? I actually haven't recorded that yet. huh? Ooh. What do you think, folks? You just listened to me doing that, but I haven't recorded it yet. Who knows? I could go rogue. I could, I this, could, is, this is a real variation on the time-space continuum here. Yeah, something, something is going on. Yeah, Think about how I can play with you here, folks, because mm, I'm, I'm, I'm excited now because I can say anything about Inside Man, and you will believe me up until I tell you this, I was probably lying. Hmm. But as Hogan once told Clink, doesn't the fact that I've admitted that I would lie to you show that you can trust me? Exactly. Hello, yes. everyone. Welcome to, where are we? Inside Man. Yes. yes. Now, I'm just going to say, before I ask you for your overall thoughts... Can I just say that my first my first note uh, I have here does make sense when you heard this you heard the synopsis, but my first note is actually um, I N C A. Now that means in California, but I wrote them very close together, and I actually have uh, in search of playing on a TV nearby where they were discussing <laughs> Aztecs and Incas, and this it looks like my first note is Inca, and so it's not though, but. Maybe we can discuss Incas later. You know, maybe we'll learn. But, but Mitchell, please, you're up high. You're looking down at this world of Inside Man, and you're thinking. Well, um, actually, before we get to the, <clears throat> excuse me, before we get to the white heat, do, do you have to, do you have to use the bathroom? Nope, nope, I'm fine now. Okay, good. Whew, I'm right. good. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't. I don't allow them to leave during the the recordings so we all got our big dities on just in that's case that's right mm-hmm. <laughs> well the uh, before you get to the point where you actually realize that this is a remake of white heat there's some interesting things about it we get some insight into rex's private life that we don't usually see we get we meet his sister and mm-hmm. we meet his brother-in-law 
And that's the that's the beginning of the episode. You've got this nice little family scene, and it is out in California. They're talking about going to Disneyland, and um, as you as you find out, Rex's brother-in-law is uh, a policeman, and uh, you you get the feeling in the first part of the episode that what you're really looking at is kind of like a backdoor pilot. Oh, or yeah. for another series, mm-hmm. and, or that, or that that if if this was like Hawaiian Eye, it's one of these cross appearance types of things because oh, it yeah. feels like it's giving you a, it's setting you up for an episode where there are going to be other people who are the focus of the story. Mm-hmm. Now that that is in fact what happens here, but it um, it isn't the way that you think it will be. There's the, there's the, there's the surprise that that uh, and I don't know how far you want to get into that, but there is something that happens. Well, I, that I I, I I don't know. I, I I think the fact that it is so white heat means yeah. we can. This is probably one we can full on spoil. It's it's white mm-hmm. heat, folks. I, I I have not seen white heat in. I thought actually last time I saw white heat was maybe a month ago. Um and. Uh, so, but I didn't watch it again for this. But there are some things I remember that are differences and such. But I think this is okay to spoil. Just yeah. Well, he... Rex's brother-in-law gets gets uh, murdered, killed in the line of duty, and um, so right there, the the essential plot changes from what I had thought it would be when it began. And so as a result, Rex is going to go undercover, and he's going to go into the prison uh, to uh, try to. Uh, chum up with and get the evidence on his brother-in-law's killer, which brings up a very good question. Uh, uh, what's the liability of the police department in just letting this interested party <laughs> say, well, let me go in there and be undercover? Yes. Oh, sure. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I did have that thought, too, because as... Um... Uh, when you sort of you you meet Luke Ballard and his mom and and everything's getting set up and I was sitting there going this looks familiar mm-hmm. and then and then when the brother in law gets shot I thought this really looks familiar and then when they they hide in the at the drive in and I saw you see like the drive in that they pull into and I thought oh hey I just saw Jimmy Cagney in that car come on <laughs> and 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 so it's like and it's just like uh, wait a minute you know, wait a minute you can't send one of your guys in send me in yeah. Why not? Why we think of that. Yeah. Why not? Jeez. So a detective from New Orleans in, in like Los Angeles or wherever you are? Yeah, sure. We do that all the time. We got like 40 guys in there from New Orleans, you know, Schenectady, Walla Walla. We got one guy from Walla Walla. And in, and in fact, the prison winds up being in Michigan, isn't it? Because oh, yeah, that's traveled, right. They put him in because Michigan. Yeah. He, because the not Cagney character travels yes. up to Michigan to plead guilty to a crime that occurred there so that he has an alibi mm-hmm. for the crime that occurred in California. Yes. And so so um, Rex is going to go, if we've got his frequent flyer miles straight here, <laughs> yes. he's going from New Orleans to Los Angeles to Michigan. Yes. And yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I'd forgotten the Michigan part there. Yeah, that's it's a very it's a very sort of yeah country hopping episode that forgets to include everyone in the cast except except him. Uh, which <laughs> at, well, at the end there's a scene with Kenny and Cal just briefly like, oh, he's coming home. All right, this is still yeah. Bourbon Street beat. Yeah, it does it does really feel like a backdoor pilot 
where, like, a, a quarter of the way through it, they were like, oh, crap, we killed, like, the guy who's, who might be, like, the main guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to, oh, what's happening now? And, yeah, uh, what, what did you, I mean, just, I, I guess, like, you're, just, what did you think of the episode? Just, just well, straight up. It, it's, it's very difficult. It's, it's certainly not as good as uh, White Heat, and you know how it's going to end if you've seen White Heat. Mm-hmm. So the question is, can you watch it on its own merits and appreciate it beyond White Heat? And I don't quite think it works because. The, there are some nice scenes in it. There are some things that work. But one of the basic problems in it is that there isn't enough Rex because he um, he's he, he is undercover, so he's Rex, but he's not Rex. And then um, he disappears for a part of the, the action because his character is not involved in it. And um, it, uh, it, it just has a very strange feel to it. Yeah, that's it's. It's when, yeah, there, there's yeah, just this long section in it where Luke kind of goes crazy, mm-hmm. and so he's there's a I don't know it's probably not ten minutes but it's it's it's, it's over five six minutes where um, there's no yeah there's no Rex at all in it and it's just and then when he comes back it's like oh this is Bourbon Street Beat not like um, a community theater version of White Heat you yeah. know that that keeps still and the thing about it is like it's it's and I I, I think I agree with you I, I it's it's fascinating to watch. I think I don't know why they did this episode. And I mean, if 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 it's one of those things like say the Virginian, where and has your friend seen an episode of the Virginian with the Virginian in it yet? I know you've mentioned not yet. No, not yet. Okay, one day, one day. <laughs> um, uh, and but but we it's don't like, have to have things in life to look to look. For, uh, yeah. uh, but they were if if they're like doing thirty nine episodes a year, and they have to sort of parse out the cast. You know, it's a Rex, it's a Cal, it's Kenny. You know that kind of thing. And this is specifically a Rex. Um, well, one, you could give him more to do, but but two, if I think something's wrong, if your 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 only thought is, hey, you know, we have the rights to White Heat. Well, why don't we just put him in White Heat? Why not? Mm. Okay. Or is it someone like an executive say something like, guys, I love White Heat so much, and I love Rex so much. Would you put him in White Heat? And, and so this isn't like, say, like a dead man don't wear plaid kind of thing where, you know, um, they have Steve Martin standing with Humphrey Bogart and such. Uh, these, these are other actors playing them. And some are, are good, but they're not – it's not Jimmy Cagney is what it is at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I think I think I agree with you. Um, there's, there's enough of white heat in it that you miss white heat. And yes. there isn't enough Bourbon Street beat in it to justify – why they redid White Heat. Well, uh, and I, I don't know if we've talked about this in a previous um, show or not, but 77 Sunset Strip did something very similar like mm. this when they did a a takeoff on uh, Strangers on a Train. Okay. And except it, it occurs on an airplane, and they really should have called it Strangers on a Plane because yeah. that would have been perfect. They didn't. But um, but it's, it's, it's a situation that for the first time, third mirrors very closely the idea of strangers on a train you've got this death pact that's made and um and Stu is the innocent uh, well no there's another guy who's the innocent 
party in this, and all of a sudden the psycho knocks off the innocent guy's wife. Mm. But mm -hmm. Stu is the wild card, because in Strangers on a Train, there is no private detective. Mm -hmm. So by introducing Stu into the mix, it immediately changes the story. You still yes. have the same premise, but you begin to have a completely different story that goes on from it. And uh, if you wanted to put a comparable situation, this is where you would have had Stu be the innocent victim. That would have been more like what we're seeing in this, where Rex be is just taking yeah. the place of one of the characters. Mm-hmm. And the uh, oh, I, I just what uh, Mrs. Viner vanishes starts off seeming like it's going to be the lady vanishes, but mm -hmm. then what a third of the way into it they acknowledge that yep this is where it's coming from, but we're doing something different. Yes. At, whereas this starts off and you and you see you meet Luke and you meet his mom. His mom looks about the same age as him. I'm not sure what that means. Um, but then mm. you meet all the other characters. And, and the tricky thing, like with White Heat, well, with this, you know, it starts off with, well, um, you know, that uh, they found the body of that guy who was involved with us in the train robbery, and that, that's what leads to everything. But White Heat starts with the train robbery, and it's really nicely done. And so that kind of pulls you in, introduces you all to all the characters. And, and so then when you see them later on, you know, talking about what are we going to do now, this, that, and the other thing, you already know the characters. But here, they leave out that big scene that kind of introduces everything and just gives us like a gaggle of characters. And I feel like they're, they're hoping we'll go, oh, it's White Heat. I already know what happens. But, well, but, and you but, know, one of the yeah. big differences with TV, too, or with movies, for that matter, is how they say, never talk about it if you can show it. Yes. And that's the problem here is that they have to describe what has happened instead of showing it. Yeah. And, and even when they get to spots where they show things sometimes it's odd because because there are bits like like where the the big uh, piece of machinery falls on luke and rex pushes him out of the way that's taken directly from white heat you know all the big shots of like um prisoners filing into like the the lunch room it's not called a lunch room in prison what is it called it's not um not the mess hall it would be the um i don't know what it's oh gosh i need you to go inside and find cafeteria, out yeah. cafeteria yeah, the so, cafeteria whatever something like that um uh, but all those shots are from White Heat. But then they have this weird bit, because in White Heat, the way they get into this big plant where they're going to steal all this money, which ends with him on the thing screaming, top of the world, Mon, shooting at it and everything exploding. Um, the way they do it in the movie is they hide themselves inside a tanker, like an oil tank, gas tanker truck that's going into the place. And they literally sit inside an empty tanker. And what the undercover guy does is he goes underneath the tanker and affixes like a sonar radar thing where they can track um, they can track the tanker and you know when Jimmy Cagney sees him he says what are you doing and there's like a chain that's supposed to be hanging down he said oh, I'm pulling the chain down well why are you doing that there's nothing in there yeah but if people see it without the chain down they're going to wonder what's in what's going on uh, and so he does this and he's able to hook that up but in Bourbon Street Beat for whatever reason they take this very simple with sneak inside a tanker, following with the sonar or whatever, and they make it so complicated that it's just like what? And it's I mean it's it's literally and feel free to jump in whenever you like, Mitchell, and go. Oh my God! Or, or yeah, but it's it's just like what is it? It's so they're gonna swim to this location, scuba wise. Yes. So there's lots of footage of them swimming. Then Rex pretends to um, lose his hearing, 
and so which requires him to get this very specialized hearing aid which tunes into whatever the sonar thing that the um the police have and i love the the sonar car which is just a regular car with like this huge dish on top of it spinning around it's like nothing to see here nothing to no, see here just Which, just a new accessory on the just, new model yeah it's, it's a new model it's, this is the, this is the 1960 guys <laughs> just let it go um and so they fix him with this thing so they can keep in touch with him and then they go into like this space it's not uh, like uh, like a, it's not a sewer but it, obviously but but like a space where they can swim into mm-hmm. the the place and and it goes on for what seems like an eternity and and I thought couldn't they have just used the tanker idea well, yeah that's the they've already ripped off so much of the story that what's it going to matter when yeah. you get when you get to the point where he's actually says at the end of the episode, I'm on top of the world, Ma. Yeah. Um, if you're going to go ahead and use that, then it's pretty much carte blanche that you can do the rest of it. Yeah, and and, it, and it's and to me it would seem easier for them mm-hmm. to have some sort of tanker truck and and just have a, a Rex fix the thing underneath it and say, let's go. And then you just see shots, stock shots from the movie of the tanker truck going on, going in, and then you see them getting out. Yeah. But but this, like, scuba stuff, it's almost like, you know, it, it was like, well, you guys are using all this white heat footage. I've got some great scuba footage. I bet it's from some movie uh, that I don't know. But we've got this great, like, scuba footage. Can we include that? <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Uh, you well, know, I almost and, expected to see in the credits something about a promotional considerations yes something like sea hunt yeah something like that yeah (laughs) but it's 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 so weirdly done because you know it is like the 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 you you left out any the really the train sequence which was one of the big sequences at the start of the film and you left out this sort of elegant you know like this it's i don't don't know it's like a refinery that they're going into or something yeah something like that and it's and it's such an elegant idea to hide inside a tanker truck that would go in the refinery. And yet they just make it so overcomplicated that as I was sitting there watching Rex pretending to be deaf and people are like going up to him and going like, Noonan, hey, hey, can you, whoa, hey, do you hear me? He's, you know, and he doesn't move. He's perfect. He doesn't jump. But it's like, this is some, this is some great, like, um, if he's ad libbing this, this is fantastic. Yeah. But it, but it just seems so weird to, like you said, to, to follow White Heat so um, slavishly? Is that the word I'm looking yeah, for? Yeah, I um, would say so. Up until that point, when you could have easily... I, I don't know if they just hit a point where it was like, they're like, uh, the writers came back and said like, yeah, we got like 40 minutes into the 50 minutes and we, we, we're just, we don't know how to get to the end. Well, add all this crap about the scuba thing and it's, it's I don't know. I don't yeah. know, Mitchell. I, I, I find it fascinating that they did it. I don't it's it's like I'm trying to think it's it's like um and I'm I'm gonna throw out a couple movies here that um you may not have seen but movies like The Curse of Bigfoot or Jungle Hell with Sabu or um Devil Monster uh these are movies that are filled with um uh like like um Devil Monster is uh it, it says it was made in the 40s and it could have been but most of the footage looks like it's from the 30s and it's basically a crew of people go travel like through the South Sea Islands and things looking for a crew member who was lost the movie's a little over an hour long and i would say 30 to 35 minutes of it is like nature footage stock mm-hmm. footage 
that mm-hmm. they pre- to, and you know it's kind of like we went to this island and met this chief and you you see footage of like people on an island and we talked to him you know and you'll see a, a shot of one of the crew and then it'll cut to the people on the island and it does this it's so I mean it just goes on forever even at, you know even near the end when you think they should stop doing it it just keeps going and it's just like I watch this episode and I I think I wish this was fun like Devil Monster because this is just slightly. I don't know if annoying is the right word, but it's interesting. I I don't know why they did it. I'm frustrated. Not in a, not in a bad way. I'm not gonna you know stand on top of my roof and shoot at people you know, on top of the world, ma. But I I um, it's, it's just it's it's. I don't know why they did it. I guess. Yeah, it is. It is um, a, a disappointing episode. It's not a bad one. If oh, you're no. if you've been with us through this far into the series, you're not gonna turn the thing off mid show and you're not going to refuse to watch it next week but um i think that that it's perhaps a a testament to the uh episode so far that you would be disappointed by something like this mm-hmm. and 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 too i just don't think the guy the guy playing luke ballard really gives it his best but he's all you all you can think of is Jimmy Cagney mm-hmm. when he's doing it. It's like oh, Cagney was was so much better, especially when like he does the thing like we gets the, the pains in his head yes. and stuff. It borders on a little over the top. Or when when yeah. when uh, they tell him when one of the uh, his fellow inmates tell him his ma's dead. Mm. Yeah, and he and breaks he, into yeah. Yep, goes off. He's really chewing the scenery at that point. But yeah. And and Cagney did too, but Cagney's Cagney. Yes. And yeah. this guy's not Cagney. Yeah. And and there there I actually have the scene on now where uh, Ballard comes into the cell for the first time and meets Rex. And some of the way like where where Rex is refusing to like kowtow to mm-hmm. him, some of the, like yes. the, the hand gestures and things this guy makes, it's like I, I get I think I remember Cagney making those, but you you look like you're. I don't know. It looks like it, it's like some of the hand gestures and faces he's making are like so big. It's like, does he think he's on a stage or something? This, this just this looks like I'd laugh at this guy if he stood mm-hmm. in front of me. Not you, Mitchell. You you know you could definitely scare me if you did that. But this guy, he's just he's just standing there. You no, know, it's like uh, you know, Mr. Bollard. I'll take this place down here, Mr. Bollard. Uh, I just want you to know where we stand. Okay, Luke. <sighs> he looks like he's going to turn into the Hulk. And you know, it's, what, what Rex should have said to him at some point was, who do you think you are, Cagney? But <laughs> Look that, at this. that might have been a little over the top there. But, this guy uh... thinks he's Jimmy Cagney. <laughs> uh, and then, and, and then I, I guess I, I don't want to make this sound. I'm going to bring up one more point just because I have it on here. They cut from that scene where he meets Ballard in the in the in the. Um, in the cell, and it cuts to a scene of Ma distributing all the money, I think from the train job or the bank job or some job, to a bunch of guys. And I just sit there watching the scene, and apart from, again, Mom looks the same age as Luke, I'm looking at all these people going, who are these people? I know, I should know them from White Heat, but I, I'm looking at them thinking, I don't really, in White Heat, I don't know that I cared about them, but they were uh, they were an integral part of the movie. Here mm-hmm. I'm just thinking, can we get back to Bourbon Street Beat now, please? Please, Maybe. Yeah, it's uh, it, it is a it's a strange strange field at all. They really shoehorned Bourbon Street Beat into the story. Yes, yeah, just the just the fact that they, like you said, they had to take him out of state mm-hmm. a couple of times in order to do it. Just seems why not why not set it in um, New Orleans and 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 just say you know I'm going up uh, you know to somewhere nearby. 
you know, Louisiana or yeah. nearby Louisiana, or within Louisiana itself. You know, why, why, I, I, I question why they had to, I mean, I guess some of the locations and things, but still, I mean, in 1959, your TV wasn't that great. I don't think anyone would have really sat there and peered and gone, wait a minute, that drive-in's in California, not yeah, New Orleans. I'm- I've seen enough shows over the years where they have mountains in Chicago, yes, for example, yeah. that, that um, I think you could have gotten away with it. Yeah, yeah, the, their their attempts at verisimilitude are appreciated, but really unnecessary, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Um, but uh, do you have anything else? I mean, I could go on for a while more, but I think we should um, we should wrap it up. And mm-hmm. again, I again, I don't mean to say if you're watching the show in order, this episode is fascinating, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's not satisfying. It's more of um, it's more of like an exercise. Think of it as an academic exercise in watching how a decently regular budgeted hour long show of the 1950s takes a big Hollywood hit and sort of not not adapts it, but like coagulates into it or something like that. I don't, yeah. I don't quite know that, but yeah. So well, anything I else? think I think that uh, there there is. A nice scene at the end when you introduce Cal and uh, Kenny, just so that you remember what the show is. And um, I think it's when Rex is telling them that he's on his way home. And the the thought occurs to me: How long has he been gone? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah he's he was on vacation, and let's say let's say it's a two week vacation. That's a pretty good vacation yeah. back then, even if you are a part owner of the firm. Two week vacation, but he's got to go to Michigan. He and and you know this this presumes too that um, our not Cagney character gets um, put in prison right away. Yes. You know, he yeah. walks in, confesses, and then, well, that's good enough for us. So you, you know, we're going to send you up, up the river. And so he's got to get into prison. He's got to ingratiate himself with not Cagney. They've mm-hmm. got to escape. They've got to set up this whole plan. I can't begin to guess how long he was gone. <laughs> so I'm sure he had probably sent a telegram or two. That would, well, and two, I mean, I don't know how long he's in prison there, but there's got to be a point where it's like, Hey, we haven't heard from um, Rex in a while. What do you think he's up to? Yeah, I don't know, but he was he he just he just sent his last telegram. Just said white stop heat stop. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> I couldn't have said that better myself. <laughs> <laughs> there and I I, uh, I I'll, I'm going to say one two more things and then uh, we'll wrap this one up. And I realize one of the joys about an episode like this is we could probably talk for another half an hour about how yes. interesting and, cr- and crazy it all is but two moments one um, the big engine thing that the guy drop, tries to drop on Luke well he does drop on Luke but Rex knocks him uh, out of the way the way it's shot and I forget how it looks in the movie because Rex doesn't know that this guy is going to do this so so uh, Luke is like emptying a garbage can and you could see like the engine being maneuvered above his head or whatever it is above his head and you could see like the guy shifty looking guy pushing buttons and the whole time it's happening Rex is like leaning on something just watching Luke and watching the engine and he almost has a look on his face like I've seen this movie too and he he, he he rushes in at that because it's almost it's almost like he expects it. Okay, yeah. here's where the engine drops. Okay, one, two, I got it, and pushes him out of the way. Um, and then the other thing is, the guy that gives Rex away is a guy named uh, Pockets, I believe is is his nickname. Uh, and you may recognize Pockets um, from a lot of things. Actually, he's in a lot of stuff. 
Um, oh, I recognize Pockets. Uh, he's in Blackenstein. He is the orderly who gets really angry at the armless and legless man who will become Blackenstein. Um, but my wife and I saw young Frankenstein in a cemetery a week or two ago. Uh, shown on like the side of a mausoleum and it was fantastic and they had a video intro from Mel Brooks thanking us all for coming to the cemetery at night And um, but not only is Young Frankenstein still as wonderful as you remember it but uh, you got to see it on the big screen because the reactions are so great that seeing them huge with a crowd are so uh-huh. so good um, but the, the, the guy who plays Pockets uh, is because I was sitting there watching it going I just saw this guy in something recently the opening scene where they wheel in Mr. I forget what his name is, the really skinny guy who yes. um, who, who uh, Dr. Frankenstein keeps kneeing in the groin. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one of the orderlies, as they're wheeling him away, the, um, he, uh, uh, the doctor leans into one of the orderlies and says, give him another buck. And the orderly says, yes, sir. That's pockets. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's pockets!" He had a line in a he had a line in one of the best known scenes in in one of the best uh, comedies of the seventies and beyond. So so hey, congratulations, pockets. Well done. It was lovely to see you. So uh, that's Inside Man, everybody, and I want Mitchell to give me give me the inside scoop on wh- what's happening. Um, let's see if you uh, enjoy classic TV, and if you don't, I have no idea why you're listening to us, yeah. but. Uh, my classic TV website is called itsabouttv.com, and I uh, can also uh, tell you about my newest book, which is The Electronic Mirror, what classic TV tells us about who we were and who we are and everything in between. Um, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or BN.com, and um, you can also find uh, links to it on the website. And it's a great book. I finished it a couple of uh, episode segment discussions ago, and it's 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 really a wonderful book. It is. I think I said this um, too that it is a great book. That the first time I read it through all the way, and now I'd probably be picking it up and randomly jumping around in it, which is fun. And because so, of uh, the time of the season, it would of course make an excellent Christmas gift for that yes. uh, classic TV fan that you may know and love. Yes, folks. Yeah, we are. Uh, Thanksgiving is past, and we are entering the Christmas season. If you're not in it already, so please, please. And I have some books out too: '80s action movies on the cheap and Bleeding Skull, '1980s trash horror odyssey. Buy those, buy them, buy them. Yes, I, I love a, I love a good royalty check. I don't know that I've ever actually got one, but I would love, I would love a good. No, I had one that was pretty, pretty decent. Um, but so, so that is Inside Man, everyone. And um, uh, I'm tempted to yell, "Top of the world, ma." But you know what? I'd like you to say that, Mitchell. Top of the world, Ma! And because it would have given the game away early on, here are the writer-director credits, directed by Leslie H. Martinson, teleplay by Howard Brown, from a screenplay by Ivan Goff and Ben Roberts.
Cop, Episode 3, as aired, The Girl on the Ledge, directed by Earl Bellamy, written by Man Rubin. Original air date April 7th, 1977, so they're not really doing the show much justice in the schedule there. I think it's been it's been almost two weeks since the Mad Mad Bomber, I almost said the Mad 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 Bomber, the Mad Mad Bomber uh, had aired as, as a Friday night TV movie. This one is is pretty straightforward. It's it's basically Haven and and Cleaver and Bundy are sitting in a diner. Uh, um, uh, Haven's had some problems when, when the episode begins with Cleaver going to the the institute there to pick uh, Haven up, and, but he's had a problem due to a power failure and his central diode or something like that is messed up. So they have to Doctor Tingley has to do something to to fix him. So they're kind of late meeting Bundy at the uh, at the diner, and as they're all chatting at the diner as they are want to do. You see a young woman, uh, her name is Helen, we learn that eventually, check into a hotel under the name Smith, go up to the 10th floor. It's not a very nice hotel, although it's a very nice building. It's not a very nice hotel room. It looks very, it's it's one of those, you you know that, um, I, I was thinking when I saw this hotel room, I was thinking of the Columbo episode, A Friend Indeed, the one where the one cop kills the other cop's wife, and then the uh, that cop kills the other guy's wife. Was that right? I forget. W- w- that one, I think it was like the end of the third series or fourth series. It was a two-hour one, and that there's like an ap- there's an apartment in the end of that, which is super shabby, and it looks kind of maybe the same set. It just looks really awful. And she, she basically goes in this room, takes a deep breath, and goes out in the 10th story ledge, which is the top story. And she's out there, and eventually, oh my gosh, someone's going to jump, someone's going to jump. And, and and our guys, our trio, are sitting in a diner, and Haven sort of sees, oh, look, there's a young woman. Oh, she's she looks okay. I wonder why she's on the ledge kind of thing. Oh my God, she's on the ledge. So they go in there, and Bundy uh, kind of leans out on the ledge, even though he's, he says he's afraid of heights, and he starts talking to her. And you begin to learn that, uh, yeah, she's not very happy with life, and and Bundy's trying to get her in. Well, we'll t- we'll talk about this briefly in the chat. Yeah, but B- Bundy, we learned some about Bundy's home life here, and yet he has a daughter. And but he's talking, he's ta- Bundy's talking to her, and you learn that you know her her mother is working at some like dime a dance kind of joint, but and and could care less if she if she jumps, but she really wants to see her dad. And uh, d- d- uh, the dad is Nick Redmond, I believe is is the dad's name. She really wants to see her dad because her dad loves her, but she doesn't know where her dad is, and it kind of comes up maybe dad is in prison. Who's the dad? And so as Bundy is talking to Helen. There's all sorts of chaos going on, and 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 all as 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 you do when there's someone on the roof. You get a rescue team above them, and and camera crews, and people in the street, fire trucks. We learn that the ledge she's standing on is is not in the best shape, and it could collapse. So he's Bunny's talking to her, and meanwhile Cleaver and Haven kind of drive around town as quick as they can, trying to find out where the dad is. And they talk to the mom, and the mom is completely unhelpful. But then they learn that uh, they learned that the dad is this guy named Nick Redmond, and around the same time that they they learned that he was kind of a mob-ish guy who's kind of vanished. They thought he was in prison, but he's kind of vanished. At the same time that that happens, we see two goons in a car, and one of them has a gun, and it's implied that they're going to be killing Cleaver and Haven, and possibly killing Nick Redmond. And we we have a scene where the uh, Cleaver and Haven go to visit an attorney. Uh, who's, I guess, like working with the attorney general or the state attorney, DA or, or some such, because Nick Redmond is turning in state's evidence for this this mob guy, and so they've got, him, they've got him hidden somewhere. And it becomes a sort of a race against time between the gal is on the ledge, 
she could go at any time and the ledge could go at any time for heaven's sake and and things don't don't look so good out there Bunny's doing his best and Cleaver and Haven are running around all over town trying to find this guy that they're going to put in the witness protection program and these goons are sort of tailing him and it's all sort of crazy and what's going to happen oh my gosh is the girl on the ledge going to jump oh is she going to fall because the ledge falls apart I'm not going to go any further into that I'm going to take a little breath and then we'll have a little chat here we go. Warning, warning. There will be spoilers in this. I, I think you have to spoil it because I got zinged by it. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really bad with like, like mysteries and spotting plot twists and things, which I think is a good thing because then I get surprised a lot. And this one, this one gave me a good zing and I really liked it. So of the uh, three episodes, I t guess technically of the four episodes so far, not counting the TV movie, uh, this is the best one. It's, it starts off very calmly with this gal going into this hotel, meeting the sleazy guy behind the counter. She goes out onto the ledge, and then Bundy spends his whole time kind of leaning out there trying to get her back in as the chaos of, you know, the sort of circus outside going on, rescue team above her, camera crew across the way. They do a really nice job of mixing in these sort of uh, on-ledge shots where they actually have stunt woman or, or stunt guy out on the ledge and, and a gentleman leaning out of the window like Bundy. Do, do a nice job of cutting in between that and the fake studio ledge. Every once in a while, when they do a shot where you can see the sky behind her, I, I'm guessing it's probably DVD quality that makes it, uh, it's an obvious backdrop. But it still works, and they do a nice, they do a nice uh, build of the ledge when they do uh, sort of, um, where you can see the the, um, the the ledge sticking out. It's it's not, is it a ledge if it's on top? The, the roof basically sticking out sort of over, over. it looks really nice. It, uh, that reminded me of um, Harold Lloyd and Safety Last, but not as funny. So, yeah, th this is, I think, the best episode so far. And interestingly enough, I don't know what this means, but it is the one that uses Haven's uh, uh, androidness, androidness, the least. He does use it, and he is the one who uh, basically reveals the zing, which happens about forty-two minutes in, because the thing is going in one direction, and then I stopped my synopsis before I got to it. But there is a very nice zing where I suddenly, uh, like I said, I we'll talk about it in a moment. But I just think it's very, it's. It's almost not quite like a small-scale disaster film of the time. I was going to say uh, Hanging by a Thread, Caught by a Thread. I, I forget the, the Irwin Allen two-parter with Burt Convy where the people are in the, you know, the um, the cable car thing that's going. You know that one that you see in all the movies. There's, it was in that one Columbo episode with Roddy McDowell. You, you see it kind of going up, uh, like crossing these mountains and everything. And uh, and it, it like breaks down and, and, and they're stranded there. And that, that one... And that one begins immediately. I do like that movie. That begins immediately with everyone getting in there, and you don't know who they are, and then they get stranded, and then you get flashback that fills fill in the details of what's going on. And this is nice because you get the gal Helen, who is on the ledge, and you don't know why she's doing it, you don't know what's going on, but then you get the little details filled in, and she's talking to Bundy, and and you try to get the okay, well, find her mother, no, find her father, you know, like this, and oh my gosh, her father's this guy, and oh dear, okay, what's happening? It's really nicely done. And there's some nice rapport between um, um, Helen and, and Bundy as uh, as they're out on the ledge. You know, where she keeps doubting that he uh, means anything he says. But, but you know, uh, Bundy keeps referring to his daughter, uh, I believe who's named Natalie, uh, who, who who she reminds, Helen reminds him of his daughter. And then we see his daughter, too, and that, that's pretty cool. That, that kind of fleshes that out. I... 
didn't really expect that in, in a show that only got the six hour long episodes. I thought this was going to be, I thought it was going to, when I heard the title, The Girl on the Ledge, I thought, how is this not going to be something like where Haven just bursts through a wall or a window, grabs her with an arm and pulls her back in? And in fact, Haven never goes out on the ledge, which is really weird. Bundy does all the stuff out on the ledge. Haven and, and Cleaver go out looking for the mom and then go out looking for the dad. And I, I think it's nicely done. I, I didn't think that they'd give John Amos's character this much to do, but he really is, he's the star of the episode. Uh, Cleaver and Haven are just sort of supporting characters, finding out what's going on as Bundy's doing all the heavy lifting. And then you get the great stuff where, like, and we've just been reported that the the hotel, being very old, has an old ledge, and the ledge might fall apart at any time. It's like, oh my gosh, this is like a disaster film because it keeps building, upping the ante slightly, you know. And she, so you think she's safe on the on the ledge, and she's not going to jump, but the ledge could fall apart. I thought it was a, a really well written episode. It it it. Okay, well, I'll be spoiling it in a moment. I I don't know why I'm trying not to spoil it, but it's it's just it's just wonderfully put together, and the intercutting between Cleaver and Haven trying to find out what's going on, trying to find the dad, and and the intercutting with Bundy and Helen on the on the ledge just works really nicely, and the episode has a real nice movement to it. So when you get the twist, and you don't expect a twist, I didn't expect a twist. What what you see is like I said, you see at at one point. You just see two, like, goons in a car, and one of them has a gun. You know, one of them some sort of sniper, and he's like, duh, we have to take out the two cops kind of thing. And it's like, wait a minute, what's going on right here? And then you learn about the mob stuff with Redmond, and, and um, H.M. Winant plays, uh, I believe those are his initials, plays uh, Redmond, who is in a couple of great Larry Blemeyer films. He's a lot of fun. He, he's great. You know him from the moment you see him. You go, oh, that guy. He's in everything. Is he is him? Planet of the Apes? What is he in? He's in everything. He's, he's you know, he's probably in one of the Planet of the Apes. Um, I, I, I didn't write it down. I just remembered that it was him as I was talking. But, the, yeah, the episode is, is really nicely structured. I think, unlike, say, Mad Mad Bomber, which I think was decently structured in two parts but not together, and unlike Fighting O'Haven, which sort of goes into the place where you more or less kind of expect it to go and there are no surprises... This one works. And it's funny, as I was watching, when I got to the end of Mad Mad Bomber, and you, you guys all heard me have some troubles with that, I thought, is this going to be one of those shows like Beyond Westworld that doesn't really hit a, hit a real high point? Because there were, there were some good moments in it, but there were no real sort of high points. Everything was pretty standard. I mean, you know, the, my rule being, just because you get hired to write for television doesn't mean you're a good writer. It generally means that you sort of, you're in the right spot at the right time kind of thing. and But this is good writing. This is a well-written episode. Not that the other ones weren't. The other ones, to me, were just pretty standard. And the Mad Mad Bomber did feel like it was just kind of obfuscating to get itself to a, to a two-parter. But I really like this, and I'm going to spoil it in a moment. There is a bit early on when Bundy's leaning out there talking to Helen... And and this is done very casually, and I, I remember, I remember um, hearing it and thinking, n- not thinking it was misdirection per se, but there's a moment where Haven says to Cleaver as they're standing in the hotel room. Oh, I think they're leaving the hotel room, starting on their journey. Uh, he says something like, "Oh, she's not going to jump." Well, how do you know? Well, her her respiration didn't do this, and her heartbeat never went above this, and that kind of thing. She's not going to jump. And my first thought was, 
she wants to see her dad. She's doing this for attention. She wants to see her dad. That's what is, you know, that's what kind of her mom says later on. So, so that was my thought, that she's not really meaning to jump. She just wants to see her dad again. But that's not what's going on. And Haven, the, when he meets the mom, and then he, he, he encounters the dad. Well, he doesn't actually encounter. He sees the dad. Uh, things, it, it's, it's really nice of them because I didn't expect this at all. So you get here. Here's what you get. Let me, uh, let me spoil it. So you get these two uh, goons going after Redmond. And they are going to kill him because, yeah, he's going to turn like uh, witness protection. And so they're going after him. And they know now that he is going to the hotel so they can follow him. And as Haven and Cleaver are in the cop car with the two guys, I get the FBI guys behind them, they're, they're just driving along. And much in the same way that Haven said in the last episode, uh, what, what was it, the, um, uh, when they're, they were evacuating the L.A. Forum and he was walking with Cleaver and Bundy, I think, and he says something like, no, I realized there was another anagram in there and it's probably not the Forum. It's actually probably somewhere else. It's like, what? This was very, very casually. Uh, Haven says to Cleaver as they're driving along, um, uh, you know, oh, it's something like, I hope Redmond gets there in time. And Cleaver says, uh, Haven says something more or less like, yeah, yeah, that's fine that he... Well, he doesn't say it like that. It's, it's, it'll be great if he gets there on time. He's not her father, but that would be great. And Ernest Borgnine is just like, whoa, we're pulling over. And he, he, he comes up with a lot of facts, genetic-related facts. And then he says, you know, well, she the, 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 the two parents have brown hair and she has blonde hair. The two parents have uh, a brown eyes, she has blue eyes. The two parents have this sort of hair, she has that sort of hair. And genetically, it doesn't work. And they bring it back. You remember... That she wasn't, I told you she wasn't scared when she was out there. And suddenly it's like, boing, it's a plant. The mom was a plant. Helen's a plant. They're there to bring Redmond out of hiding so these two goons can shoot him when he leans out to talk to his daughter. And that's exactly what they're going, and it's really nicely done. I didn't expect, and they, and they, they, they handle it really nicely. And just the moment when, like, Bundy is leaning out there, and, and Skaggs there gets the, um, uh, not Boz Skaggs, you jerks, uh, Skaggs gets the, um, oh, that'd be a little more tuneful than Skaggs in here. What is his first name? Uh, Captain Skaggs? Rick Skaggs? Is it Rick? <laughs> is his name Rick? I don't know. But just the great moment where John Amos is so good in this, uh, the great moment where he, he, he's kind of tapped a, 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 and, you know, his leg or his shoulder or something, and he, you know, wait, one, one minute, Helen, don't, don't jump. And he leans in, and they hand him a note, and the note says something like, uh, she's a plant, she's being used to bring Redmond here so they can kill him, or, you know. And just the look on his face where it goes, he, he's not, you know, mean or rude or anything. But he's just like, he. well, he does, I guess, a little bit of, uh, where she says, you lied to me. He's not going to be here. No. You know what? I've never told a lie in my life. You know, and he's just giving her, it's nice. It's, it's, it's nice. You know, a bit sass there on the on the ledge because he knows she's not going to jump. And then, of course, you know, as they do when, when you learn that the Redmond, Redmond, basically, they stop him before he can stick his head out the window. And they, they have him look in, in the mirror. And say, or is it is it Haven that just looks in the mirror? I forget. But they have, is that your daughter? No, it, it no, that's not my daughter. Stay away from the window. And then they start shooting at her, and a bit of the ledge breaks and things. And it's it's really nicely done. And there is a moment, even though it is, even though it is the, um, 
even though it is obviously the, the studio ledge, there is a moment where she's like on a collapsing part of the ledge and he's kind of hanging onto the wall. He's got her, I'm going to swing you around. And he just kind of does a where he swings around himself right up against the window, which is really like very much a whoa kind of moment. Even though, yeah, I, I wouldn't have asked them to tilt the camera slightly so you get kind of a, you see the ground angle. But it's still, it's really nicely done. I think it's a, I think it's a, it's, it's a really sharply done episode because just the misdirection of it all you think it's some poor gal who's at the end of her tether and she's going to leap 10 stories but then you get that moment with haven and then you think well maybe she's doing this for attention she wants to see her dad that's still okay but then you get the gangster thing and you're like oh my gosh where did those guys come from and then all that stuff is going on you get the scene with the with the lawyer where uh, um where, where where cleaver just really gets um gets uh, angry and you do get haven listening to the the phone turning um uh, or the, does he has, i believe it's a rotary film yeah um, uh, where he he um oh no it isn't is it Jeez, I forgot because I was going to say, uh, well, Haven uh, knows what the phone number is that this this uh, chucklehead uh, dialed there. I was going to say, we had, um, way back in the day, we had a Green Hornet episode where uh, Hornet and Cato record a guy and, and they, they get his phone number by listening to the rotary phone, but I don't think this is something. Uh, for, that's a tangent. So, goodbye, Green Hornet. You will be missed. Ah, okay. Uh, we haven't got there. We haven't got there yet. You'll you'll get there shortly, folks. And I'll wrap this up. Yeah, I just think it's a really nicely done episode. They handle the the work out on the ledge. That was my thing. I thought, oh, is it just going to be like rotten shots of like uh, this woman on this fake ledge? No, they they have quite a few moments where they they cut away and you see the her on the ledge and it it really it's really nice and they seem to have a decent amount of people out on the street so for being a show that was kind of like make six and get the hell out of here kind of thing there's some they they they, they put their all into this and it's so i think it's nicely written to it it i think i think i think part of the joy of it is when you get um something like this and you get well my mom's like this and my dad is like this and we meet the mom and we meet the dad it's it's great having all the all the backstory come in but then to realize when haven announces it that it's all baloney that it's all nonsense it's all a trick and she's a professional aerialist helen on there and she's not gonna she's not planning on jumping at all yeah the moment you realize it's, it's like it's really nicely it's I, I've said really nicely done about ten times, but as I said, I I thought this was show was going to stay in beyond Westworld area and where like the immortal was kind of half the time, not really trying too hard, trying a bit. But this one works. I don't know, and 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 the fact that it it's it underplays Haven so much. I mean, at the beginning with the stuff where he's his central diode and things like that. Yeah, that's that's fun. And you do get what is it is it the um the, the main doctor's Dr. Tingley. And there's a great moment where they're going to put a thousand volts through Haven and a woman says, I'm ready with the one thousand volts, Doctor Tingley and I go, you know what, I'm ready for that too, Doctor Tingley. I, I think that's just a great name for someone who zaps volts into people. And you get this weird scene where they put his arm back in his sleeve, which looks really strange. I've got a robot hand. So, yeah, this this is a great one. I I don't think 
because it uses, I mean, Fighting O'Haven uses his, it's all about Havens being able to box and move and bob and weave. And Mad Mad Bomber is all about him figuring out where the things are. And then the second half is about him going undercover and then slowly running down. This one, he he's really a supporting character and John Amos takes over. And you know what? I could do with more of that. I don't think we're going to get much more of that. We've only got two episodes left, not counting the the second TV movie. So I don't know how much further we're going to get into that. But the next episode does have Girl in the title also. I guess, hey, you you do what you can, I guess. I, I, I No one probably, there were probably people in different offices and they didn't realize, wait a minute, girl twice in a row in a title, that's cuckoo. But anyway, girl on the ledge. So far, actually, I like this better than the TV movie. I thought the TV movie is a heck of a lot of fun, but because it has to do all the intro and set everything up, those are rarely as much fun as later episodes when everything's already set up. Uh, I did... Uh, yeah, I did think they dwelt a little too much on his diode and the power failure in the beginning, which is kind of a nice. It is kind of a nice sort of misdirection too. Um, as you're as they're sitting there eating, and then suddenly they see the gal on the ledge. But yeah, I, I, I've talked too much about this episode. This so far of the three or or four, depending upon what we're we're calling it, and the TV movie. I think this is my favorite, and I'd love it if the next two were as good as this. And I'd love it if the second TV movie... I Technically, I guess the third TV movie was like this. So, who knows? Who knows? What I do know, though... Don't be sad. We are now going on to the final... Mm, hold on. The final Green Hornet episode. Mr. Dozier, one more time. Another challenge for the Green Hornet. His aide, Cato, and their rolling arsenal, the Black Beauty. On police records, a wanted criminal, the Green Hornet is really Britt Reed, owner-publisher of the Daily Sentinel. His dual identity, known only to his secretary and to the district attorney. And now, to protect the rights and lives of decent citizens, rides the Green Hornet. March 17th, 1967. Uh, had Sergeant Pepper come out at this time? I don't know when it came out. But um, uh, how are you, folks? I'm sorry. I'm rambling, and I'm rambling because this is the last episode of Green Hornet. Episode 26, Invasion from Outer Space Part 2, written by Art Weingarten, directed by Daryl Hollenbeck. And I have someone with me who's going to give you a breakdown for the episode, and then we're going to break it down in a different way. I have the wonderful Kiki Wrights, Kristen Hawes. Kristen, how are you? I am sad that this is the end. Dan, how are you? Oh, uh, I actually, I um, I don't know what you're drinking, but I just poured a big glass of, I mean, when I say big, I mean big glass of wine. <laughs> so so this discussion may go out for hours because I tend to ramble. If yeah. I if I if I bring up Doctor Who, I'm rambling. So so stop me there. But um, this is the, this is the last one, and I um, we've been talking. We you and I have been um, uh, oh, uh, like about every two months we get together, we do a bunch of episodes over the past year, 
And and so this is like a year-long thing ending now. And it makes me sad. But I would like to um, mute myself and let you give a little breakdown for this episode. And then we'll discuss it. Please begin. Okay. We'll, we'll get to our feelings later. Uh, so the good news is that Green Hornet and Kato saved Casey from death. And one of the Jiffy Pop alien henchmen has her scanner in his pocket. Listening to a radio transmission from one of the convoy officers, they find out that Mabuse has the H-bomb. They go in on silent. Mabuse and friends take the H-bomb, which has been rigged for remote detonation. In their fancy truck, they monitor radio signals for any police activity while waiting for their plane to land. Martin says they have a strong signal but nothing on radar, and they realize the signal is coming from inside the truck. Mabuse rules out Vanna, and after searching Shugo, finds Casey's transmitter and turns it off. Vanna has lost faith in Shugo, and neither she nor Mabuse believe that the transmitter isn't his. Mabuse activates the Hornet scanner to lead Green Hornet to them. Hornet and Kato arrive at the truck and witness a group meeting that turns out to be a mirror and a loudspeaker. Oops. Mabuse gets the drop on them. It's all done with mirrors, isn't it, Hornet? I've been an ardent admirer of yours for quite some time. We should get along well, then. And this can only be Cato. You've both wandered far afield, haven't you? When there's action, I like to be in on it. You thought if I dropped the ball, perhaps you'd pick it up? Something like that? If anyone drops this ball, dear friend, they'll pick us all up. In little pieces. You'll never pull this off, Mabuse. Correction. I already have. And not only do I have the warhead... But I also have the Green Hornet. What about the police? Your concern for my well-being is most touching. In fact, to show my deep appreciation, I think I will allow you to act as my stand-in. Mabu sets up Hornet and Kato to take the fall by tying them up, tying them all up, and putting uh, Shun Shugo in the Black Beauty with them. Finding one of the Jiffy Pop aliens with the Green Hornet will make it look like he was behind the whole thing. And the missing H-bomb will be thought stolen by double-crossing underlings. Mabuse informs them that if they move inside the car, the Hornet sting will set off some dynamite under the car. And if they don't, well, the police who are sure to arrive soon will be enough vibration to blow them up. Mabuse and friends take their leave. What are we going to do? The first thing we're going to do is stay calm. There's no way out. Listen. Kato. Yeah? I'm going to fire the rear rockets. The reaction may jolt the car forward far enough to clear the explosion. No. There should be a split second between the time that I fire the rockets and the stingray activates the explosives. In that instant, the car should move away. What if it doesn't move away fast enough? It's the only chance that we've got. When that police car gets in the area, its vibrations are going to set off the explosives. How close is your hand to the rocket switch? About three or four inches. He said any movement would set that thing off. We're just going to have to risk it. hits the switch just as Shugo dives from the car. The rocket blows him clear just as the dynamite goes off. 
The police are following Mabuse's fancy truck with a helicopter, much to his displeasure. Back on the road, Hornet speculates that Mabuse is heading for an old abandoned airstrip, as does Scanlon and the Air Force. Mabuse is, un- is now unhappy that their plane will not land because the Air Force buzzed the plane. He tells the convoy to stop. He decides to hide the H-bomb in the brush and detonate it when the police find it and decimate the city because rude. Martin has issues with this, so Mabuse leaves him behind to die. The Air Force intervention forces Hornet and Cato to double back because they know the plane won't land. Martin flags down Hornet and tells him what's going on, that Mabuse will wait until he's far enough away before detonating the bomb by remote. Hornet, Cato, and Martin chase down the convoy, catching up because Black Beauty is faster than the truck. Hornet jumps from the Black Beauty to the truck, which tries to run Black Beauty off the road. Hornet busts some heads inside the truck. Some important equipment gets damaged. Cato runs the truck off the road. Bama gets a taste of her own medicine. Hornet and Mabuse struggle for the detonator. Will the show go out with a bang? Don't answer that. Instead, Dan, tell me what you think about the conclusion to the two-parter and the series. <sighs> that was a very good uh, recap. I think your your recaps have uh, have more um, verve than mine do. I think I think I'd say ah uh, a lot more. <laughs> and I, but the thing is, I can edit the us out, but I don't always do that. So I that's my that's my issue. Um, <laughs> I think that I, I really enjoy this episode. I think it's a super fun, I don't know if we knew it was last episode, but I think it's a super fun closing episode for the show. The one the one problem I have with it is the, the, the problem I think I've had with the show throughout is, well, the, the two problems I've had is some strange plotting issues here and there. This one doesn't have that. Um, but the other thing is day for night issues. And this one has a lot of day for night stuff in it. And I, the first time I watched it, I got day for night fatigue, which is a thing I just invented. And about halfway through it, I was just like, even though I was wide awake, I was like phased out because so much of it was day for night that I couldn't quite see what was going on. But I watched it three times for this. And by the second and third time I was in, I think it's I think it's a very solid ending. I th- I think it's it's nice because uh, Mabuse has has what he needs at the start of the episode, but then Green Hornet kind of knocks away at it, knocks away at it, and gets out of the the trap and keeps going. And yeah, yeah, Miss Case is gone. Mike isn't here. Um, scan- well, Miss Case, I, Miss Case and Scanlon show up right at the end, correct? Is, am I getting that right? I think. Yes. Br- yes. Briefly, yes. Mike isn't here, unfortunately. Um, and but I think I think if Mike had been here, Mabuse may have done better because he could have kidnapped Mike, and it would have been like that would have been some something to hang your hat on. But I I I think it's I think it's it's a I don't know. I, I would guess that this is possibly the sh- the direction the show would have gone in. Slightly, I don't know if it's camp, but it's slightly stranger. And I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I think I think I prefer part one, but I like part two quite a bit. I just think part two, like I said, has a bit too much of day for night stuff where it's so. If maybe if we were to get this on a, a nice Blu-ray set or even a nice DVD set, it would clear up a little bit. But the, the what I watch it on, I, I got a little hazy on what was going on sometimes. Um, but I 
I think it's a good, very good episode. Not a favorite. I prefer the previous one and the one before that. But I think it's a very good way to go out if you have to go out. And unfortunately, Green Hornet did, which is sad. Batman got another season, which is another thing altogether. But what did you think of this one? Well, I love the first episode of this two-parter. I love the second episode of this two-parter. I can see your complaint about the day for night, particularly when we're when um, they're chasing the truck in Black Beauty. Yes. There is a great stunt where Green Hornet, obviously stuntman, um, jumps from the from Black Beauty to the truck while they're they're moving, and because of the day for night, you really can't see it. Yes. And I, I'm like, that is such a bummer because that's such a great stunt. You know, it's a great moment, and you can't really see it. Yeah. And it's shot kind of far away, too, so it's, I mean, I mean, even if it wasn't shot for day for night, it'd probably be, it wouldn't be the best yeah. um, shot, but, I mean, you'd still be able to see the stunt. So, you know, that is kind of the drawback, but I do love how it's like Hornet's going up against Mabuse, and it's like, and he, you know, it's every little bit, like, he really does feel Mabuse feels dangerous because you know he yeah. he tricks him with the mirror. He yeah. rigs up this this really ingenious you know a little extra, but we've learned that Mabuse is extra um, way to kill him. Um, you know with the vibration and the hornet thing, using his own weapon against him. How rude is that? Yeah. And then you know they're chasing him down, trying to get there before you know he sets off the bomb. And I mean it's just like one thing after another, and it's like they can't. He, they spend much of both parts. They can't quite catch him. Yes. And I just, I don't know why, but it's like we've, I guess maybe because up to this point, we've seen Hornet so in control and he's like, he's got these bad guys easy peasy. But then we get to this dude and it's like, mm. you wonder if he won't get away. Yeah. Maybe not blow up the city, but at least escape until we get you know to the very end because he's just that one step ahead. He's just just out of reach the whole time. And I love that. Yeah. I think I, I think you made for an exciting episode. I, I think so too. I think I think I think you're right, the sort of one damn thing after another, where it's just like they, they get to one spot and he's like he's already a, a one step ahead. They get to another spot. It's like um I just uh this past weekend I rewatched the Back to the Future trilogy. And one of the things about the, that is that it's one damn thing after another. And my, my wife and I, uh, a few weeks ago, we saw A Quiet Place at the theater. And that, about halfway through, that becomes one damn thing after another. And that's sort of what this is. It's like Green Horton and Cato, who are normally on top of it, and they got all the equipment, and they're right there. Mabuse is just half step ahead. Yeah. And it's, it's, just not, it's, just, it's just nice the way it goes, right up until the end. And which involves a lot of punching people and throwing people around and stuff like that. Yeah, sometimes that's the way it works. But yeah, I, I think I, I think the folks who say that this these last two episodes like led to the cancellation of the show, I, possibly possibly if if you are fully wedded to what the show was before this, if you don't think the show can be something else. Because I like this. I like moments of like uh, after the, the they crash, they they destroy the mirror, and Mabuse and all his henchmen are behind him, and like the henchmen are hooking up the hornet sting, and Mabuse is just looking at him, and Green Hornet and Kato are standing there. It's like to me, this is like great, 
like I don't want to say Mexican standoff, but this this is like this is like a great like this could work. This could be like a character who comes back two or three times in the next season and 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 menaces them. You know, he maybe not in the goofy tinfoil outfit, put him in a friggin' suit, you know, or or put dress him like King Tut or something. But <laughs> but you know, I I think he could work. I definitely think he could work. Yeah, I think so too. And I think you know, because he's so dramatic and theatrical, gosh, you, there's so much stuff you could do with him that you could have these outlandish plots like, oh, hey, I rigged this this weather balloon to crash to make it look like, you know, yeah. a UFO crashing and that, you know, I'm going to make everybody think we're aliens and that's going to how that's how I'm going to keep these roads clear so I can steal this H-bomb, you know, but because uh, Larry Mann, I mean, you, you bought, he sold it, you bought it. You yes. could totally get behind him because there was nothing campy about it. It was no. outlandish, you know. It was over the top, but it wasn't campy. And yes. so you could totally see him showing up. He could. He could have been. Uh, he could have been Green Hornet's Wofat. I'm just saying. Yes. He he could have he could have been that recurring guy that comes in with these plots that are just out there and, but there's a real threat to them there's a real danger to them yes we actually yeah. got to see the green hornet you know have to struggle a little bit and that yeah. i think made both of those episodes a little more compelling is because the green hornet actually had a challenge whereas mm-hmm. we you know the way the series was at the very beginning um he didn't feel like he was challenged very much that they were run of the mill this is like this. This this obviously, I think is. I'm gonna go way off here. This was do it ahead of its, it's time. It's the final episode. Do it. Yes, it, this this was ahead of its time because you know you took the established formula of the 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 show and you threw in a few. We had a few um, interesting episodes in there, like um, seek. Was it hide, seek, and destroy? What was it seek and destroy? Seek, search, and destroy, or what? Yeah, was seek, search, yeah. when they destroy when they stole the tank, and that was very heavy, serious business. We had the um, alias, the scarf, where that was definitely the horror movie thing. Yes. So we played with it, and then you get to this end where it like here is this this villain that is definitely serious, and Hornet faces challenges, and then so that's like the setup for season two, where you actually get to see. Hornet dealing with more serious stuff, even if it is over the top. Mm. That's the that you know in today's uh, television, and that would be the new season two arc. Yes. And you know, but you don't. But back then they didn't do that as much. You had the you had the formula. You stuck to the formula, and they kind of. So if this if this episode if this 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 two parter, you know, led to the cancellation, it's. I would think it's not because of the quality of the episodes because I think they're they're fab- fabulous. I mm-hmm. think it's because it broke the formula too much, mm. and that's that's. But I don't think I I doubt that this episode, no. either one of the episodes, had anything to do with it. Probably it was slated for. The ratings probably weren't as good as Batman because Batman at that point was, was really dropping. good. Yeah, it was really good in the second season, but it started to decline because it really went south in the third season so they probably the numbers weren't as good as they thought it was and decided not to renew that would be my guess 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I could see, uh, like, yeah, the, the the next season beginning with with some sort of weird thing happening, maybe with the Sentinel, maybe like some something in the Sentinel or something like that, and and Green Hornet taking care of it. But you learn later on that that Mabuse is in, uh, uh, engineered that, and he's he's doing something. And I'm I'm doing modern day, obviously. Um, but I, I could see that, like him showing up a few times and at the end of the season being another big two-parter. But the, the big two-parter has more gravitas because it's, it's, it's been telegraphed over the entire season that something is happening in Britt Reed Town. I don't know what which city I, I are we in. I it's Sentinelville. Sentinelville, you know, just I, I, I love the thought that they, they may have done that. And, um, uh, and uh, if there had been a second season, they would have probably just brought him back like two or three times a season, maybe for two parters. But, um, uh, you know, like, um, uh, back in the day, I, I think the very end of when Charlie and I discussed Manimal, we, we discussed, uh, we, it was a four-season or five-season plan for Manimal, where Manimal meets his dad, and then he meets Anti-Manimal, who is an actual animal who becomes a human, rather than a human who becomes animal, and stuff like that. And so this this is really, to me, this is very much like, I could see this being something here, something that would expand in 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 a a, a cool ass way. And by the way, um the man from Atlantis, Victor Buono was Mr. Schubert was the name of his character. Ah uh, yes. Well and, you know, he's just Victor Buono everywhere because he's fabulous. Yes. But Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I do recommend maybe we'll cover that one day, folks. Four T V movies and thirteen episodes. Mm, that's in our bailiwick, which is where <laughs> um uh uh Britt Reed lives in, in our bailiwick. <laughs> Um, uh, but, uh, let's, let's see what else, what else do we have for this? Um, I love, I love that the past few episodes, and I don't think I noticed that, um, what is it? Set it to silent running. Is that what, um, Britt says? Yeah, I I guess that's so, I mean, in this episode, the whole silent running thing was so they couldn't track them. So I'm guessing it it had no engine noise and Mm no, uh, their electronic equipment, because we know that the Black Beauty has a ton of electronic equipment. loaded. That it yeah. wasn't being detectable, but I guess it still was because they still knew Mabuse still knew he was coming. I, but he knew it was coming, wasn't it? Like it, it was something. I didn't write down what it was, but it wasn't because of. It was like they just detected something approaching that wasn't. Yeah, they, um, they detected letting, something approaching, running on silent, and they're like, "Well, there's only one car that can do that, and that's the Black Beauty." And it's like, "Well, way to give yourself away." Oh. <laughs> Yeah, that ain't the Batmobile, because I hear the Batmobile every time that starts. <laughs> who And I do like, who else would have thought of nuclear blackmail? Uh, Mabuse says that at one moment. And I thought, I don't know, a lot of people, a lot of jerks. Yeah. I don't know. that. <laughs> well, I like, too, that he was like, you know, what because uh, it was the first episode. Uh, Casey asked what he's going to do with an H-bomb, and he's like, well, what do you do with an H-bomb but drop it? And I'm like, well, he, he's got you there. <laughs> yeah. Not the point of it. You yeah. Drop it or you threaten to drop it. I like that Martin was so upset, though, that he's like, we were just supposed to, you know, use yeah. it as nuclear blackmail, and you really want to detonate it. And he's like, I didn't sign up for this. And it's like, really, Martin? You put on the Jiffy Pop alien suit. 
Yeah, what do you, you think was going to happen? You know, when when you're interviewed for a job, you should ask some questions back <laughs> to make sure you know. And that's 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 the time when, when you when your when your uh, soon to be boss says, "What do you think about nuclear holocaust?" <laughs> I'm I'm all for it. Yeah. What do you think about it? That's you the know, time to ask. When I go for a job interview, I always ask about the dress code, and I don't think any of those guys did. I'm just saying. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I agree. What, what else do you have on your? Well, I, I mentioned Vama in the last. Oh, sure, sure. Last yeah. episode, and in this episode, I, I wanted to elaborate on it. She barely speaks. I don't think she speaks at all in the second episode. She barely speaks in the first episode, and it's like I, I honestly think that she thinks she's from outer space because she is so yes. that, or she has like access to the greatest weed. Because she is mellow throughout this whole thing. Mabuse, like, first asks her, you wouldn't try anything, you know, when they find this, when they get yes. the scanner signal. And she just smiles at him. And then mm-hmm. when she, when he asks, you know, about Shugo, she blinks, you know, just yes. blinks her disapproval. And I'm just like, she really thinks she, she's, uh, she can do this. She really thinks she's an alien, doesn't she? Yeah. She's, and and the- she's got, she's got that good pot. And the, and the final moment, I thought it was maybe LSD was doing that, but I guess maybe Pot would, yeah. And there is the final moment when she throws out her last electrical shots at Green Hornet, which is almost, it's a weird moment that's almost thrown away during that shot, uh, during that fight scene, because Hornet does a thing where he brings up like a mirror and she does a and it reflects back on her. But it's almost like, I miss that. The first time mm-hmm. I watched it, the se- the second time I was like, "Whoa, how did I miss that?" It's almost thrown away because it's not. Um, they don't go in for like close ups on anything, which is kind of weird. But possibly because they were shooting a lot of episodes of things and they didn't have that the time to do that with the special effects. I understand that completely. But yeah, she, yeah, she she's something because she's she's great in the in the first episode. She's just like, "What is this?" strange creature but then the second one when she takes her like hood off and she has long blonde hair i'm like oh she's the mall she's like um mabuse's mall uh, mm-hmm. and 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 so but 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 she, she's a mall who has the power of electro from spider-man and could <laughs> the shocker she can i i said did I say in this episode of the last one that I love the villains that can shoot electricity out of their fingers? I don't know. I've always liked that. Yeah. That was a nice touch. I do like, though, that Vama probably wouldn't have been vanquished if Mabuse didn't have the, that part of his truck decorated like some tacky rich people's foyer. Like, <clears throat> Green Horton wouldn't have had access to that mirror if he, yeah, if he had kept what that was about. I then the moment he picks it up and it does it, I was like, oh, okay. He picked up that mirror, and then it wasn't until like four hours later I was sitting on the bus on my way home from work, and I had my eyes closed. And I was like, ooh, it's a long day. Where do you get that mirror from? Oh hell, you know. As like, and I went back and watched it again. I was like, I still don't. I don't know. I don't know yeah, what's going. It's because it's because the first part of that truck, the second part of the truck, the back half of the truck was was NASA. The first part of that oh, truck yes. was like somebody's really awful foyer because yes, there were <laughs> there were ugly chairs, 
There was a mirror on the wall. There was a vase of flowers. And I'm like, first of all, all of that has to be nailed down because you're in the back of a truck. You're in the back of a truck. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and that and that's where um he offers uh Miss Case the the wine. I I like everything very simple, but I like the best. Yeah. Well, you're gonna you're gonna have some troubles there sometimes because sometimes sometimes very simple is like um you know a uh, possum stew you know and that's not the best you know I I'm just I saying know. that from watching Beverly Hillbillies you know Granny. Well, okay. Uh, true fact though, I don't know about possum stew, but raccoon barbecue is not bad. Just so you know. Really? Yes. Wow. Had, yeah. <laughs> I've gotten to you I, a lot of interesting things in my life because my grandma was always just like, I'd ask what it was, and she's like, never mind, just eat it. So <laughs> I've had I've had um, raccoon barbecue. I've had rabbit. I've had ostrich. I've had rabbit. I have not had the others. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. But I can understand what you mean by simple is not always the best. What <laughs> because <laughs> well, he's... Not not bad. Well, because he he's he's giving her a, a a glass of wine, I think, or something at that time. It's like you know, simple on wine is not the best. You want the 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 best wine. You don't want like the simple wine is a two buck chuck, you oh. know, or, or or the cardboardo in the boxes, you I know, cardboardo. <laughs> that that's sorry, Nate. Nate from uh, History Continues. That's his uh, thing. Oh, uh, give me a moment. I have to disentangle my dog from cords. I'll be right back. Give me a moment. <laughs> I'll be right. Give me give me one minute. Eventually, Super Train, where we have the most interesting technical difficulties. My wine, you should know, costs. It comes in a bottle, and it costs six bucks. Here, well, here's the thing. Like, um, was it Trader Trader Joe's? I don't know if you have Trader Joe's there. Yeah, in the bigger cities around here, we do. Okay, because um, I I work like two blocks away from a Trader Joe's. They have their own wine thing, uh, wine chain, wine. I don't know wine thing. Uh, I'm gonna say wine thing, which is like it's like a it's a three dollar bottle of wine, and it's not you know you're not gonna you're not gonna Doctor Mabuse isn't gonna be thrilled <laughs> and and. Uh, Mr. Reed and Mr. Wayne are going to be thrilled, but it's 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 you, you know it's not a bad bottle, you know. At the end of the day, the more expensive the bottle, the better it is. That's the way it works. But if you just want a nice something, if if you know you're here's the thing, if you've just spent three hours talking about the Green Hornet TV series, and you just want to wrap it up, and you want a little glass. Eh, a six dollar bottle. That's, yeah, ain't bad. It's perfect for that. It's it really then, is perfect for that. That ain't bad, Jane. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a, a little sip here. Mm. <laughs> so so what else what else do you have from this one? Oh I don't I was gonna ask you, um, about the ending because we had we didn't have any Mike Axford, which I was kinda sad about. The last two episodes of yeah. what turned out to be the series and we didn't have any Mike there were no poor Mike moments. I was I was kind of sad about it's that. It's been a while. It's been like th- three or four episodes. Yeah, he was because he was he was only in a little bit of Hornet Save Thyself, and then mm-hmm. nothing in this. So that kind of made me sad. But I was wondering yeah. um, what you thought about Scanlan's explanation for everything because obviously Mabuse was not an alien. He acted yes. a little alien. 
but he wasn't. So what did you think about how Scanlan explained everything from the the UFO crash to Vama's electricity? If you go and watch that scene, you will see Cato standing behind the couch where Scanlan is explaining everything, and he has his arms crossed, and he's giving Scanlan a very specific look. That look is the look that I have, like, okay, old guy, go to bed. All right. <laughs> You're, you're good. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because he's like, it was just a battery. It was a regular battery. And she shot these. Yeah, okay. All right. Okay. And I like, I part of the reason why I like that is because I look forward to the second season where I think Scanlon's explanation of how it all worked is insufficient. And I think that Mabuse has more power than we uh, realize. So Scanlan is explaining it from what he knows, but Scanlan is a good guy and a smart guy, but he ain't a genius. So Mabuse has done something that is, you know, it's, it was, what is it? Is Whose law is it? Heinlein's law? Um, uh, uh, um, superior, oh crap, what is it? Like science that looks like magic? You know that law? Uh, when you encounter science that's so advanced it looks like magic or, or um, magic that's science kind of thing, that's the way I look at it. I feel like Mabuse has been so advanced in the, in the science realm that his science looks like some strange sci-fi magic. And Scanlan is trying to explain it as if it were like, oh yeah, it's just a couple of, you know, she, she had six six uh, D batteries hooked up to her chest, and she shot all this uh, electricity. Yeah, okay, Scanlan, we got it. Yeah, we got it. We got it. No, I think what is it? Any advanced science is indistinguishable from magic. Is that it? I think I forget what the the. I don't know. I, I forget you. I, I, I'm sorry, folks. Um, I first encountered it in a doc, a Doctor Who. Oh my God, I'm getting drunk. No, no, I'm not. I'm not though. No, because that's where it comes from. Uh, it, it's Heinlein's law is adv- super advanced science is indistinguishable from magic. So people who are so advanced science-wise from us will do things that look to us like magic. And to me, that's what Mabuse is doing. He's doing something that Scanlan is trying to explain as science, but he ain't doing it. And it still looks like magic, which is kind of what it was. I have the look that, oh, actually both Cato and Britt have on there. Miss Case is has a look on her face like, I'm half convinced. But the guys are like, we're not fully convinced. But but for all I know, Miss Case in a moment is going to be, she's going to flip them off, you know, just give them the... <laughs> Give him a bird. I don't know. What What do you think about that? Now, see, I go I go the opposite way because we'd already oh. seen him use a sim- very simple mirror and loudspeaker trick to fool Green Hornet. So oh. The idea that she's got this special battery pack in her belt, which, you know, it's alien fashion. You can get away with that. And that all she had to do was raise her arms, and that's what caused the electricity. Now, it said something about, it, like, it could, she could do 25,000 volts, which to me sounds like he could kill someone. But that sounds like when I looked amount. it up yeah. online, no one can actually, like, I could not find a definitive number of volts that can kill you. That worries me. 
because I I think that's oh. something people should know. Like if you stick your if you stick your hand in an out or you stick a fork in the outlet, that won't necessarily kill you. But I know if you touch a power line, that will. There's a discrepancy between the volts there, and I would like to know exactly what those are. Yeah, not, please, folks, I'm listeners. Fr- I'm not friendly with electricity to begin with. I've been electrocuted more times than I would like to admit. <laughs> and so I think I should know this information. Um, so I don't know about that. But then also, you know, when he's talking about the weather balloon, that he painted this weather balloon with iridescent paint, and all he did was, you know, put some scrap metal and some gasoline down, and when the weather balloon came down, it ignited it, and it looked like it crashed. And I'm just thinking, if you looked up Dr. Mabuse's degree... It's going to be like this, he's got like a, probably a doctorate in, you know, some kind of physics, science, whatever, what yeah. have you, nuclear physics, I guess, because he was working on H-bombs and whatnot. But you know he's got a minor in theater arts, because that <laughs> is straight up theater arts production stuff. Like everything, everything he did was straight up. You know, it's like, I meant to be in the theater, yeah. but I suddenly became a genius in nuclear physics. And and I think that's why I like him so well is because most geniuses are so <laughs> boring and they're just so straightforward and he is like, hell no, drama. Yes, exactly, drama. That's why, like, King Tut is wonderful because he's a very intelligent man who who, who gets hit over the head. Every time he gets hit over the head, he goes screwball. And that's this This is a guy who doesn't have to get hit over the head. To no, go screwball. He just ball. is. He just is. I, I do. I do like like he told Martin, "Don't ever call him mad." And I'm like, "That's yes. how you know someone's unhinged." Yes. He takes it as an insult. And I I wonder if he had like another genre in mind. Like if the next time he showed up, there'd be like an old dark house or like a yes. like a um, like a stamp a uh, cattle stampede or something. Like he had something like every time he he every time one sort of genre in his mind failed, he'd go to another. Yes, I want him to see him base a crime off of a Chekhov play. Let's do this. Oh, my gosh. And I like like the episode where Britt wakes up and he's suddenly turning into a cockroach. <laughs> oh, my gosh. See, we were robbed. Mabuse could have been the, one of the greatest villains of all time. We could have still been talking about him. And yet oh we God. were robbed with the cancellation of the show. Yeah. I, and I, I do like what you said about I, I forgot about the mirror one because I'm a, I actually have that scene playing where um, Scanlan is explaining the the electricity belt and to me it looks like the guys are looking at him like mm, no what's going on mm, no huh there's there's a I think there's a lot going on in these last two episodes that we haven't well I hope we've we've touched on here. Um, because we've talked a lot. Um, I, is this the longest episode? We, well, it's the last episode. It's Come on. It's the last episode. We have, we, we've got to, you know, we got to go all out. They went all out. We, they got us Jiffy Pop aliens. And we, you can't, you know, wrap that up in a neat little package in like 20 minutes. You, you have to expound. Yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I do have their, their uh, I do have a note circled here. Which is uh, during moments when they're all creeping around during the episode, trying to get to places. I I just have a note that says, "Daring creep around." <laughs> I don't know what the I I guess that that describes uh, about a third of the episode. I think well, is a daring creep around. I just have a note here that says physics with an exclamation point. 
<laughs> that's it's it's funny. It's like I I just some of my some notes aren't circled. Some of them are. Underling stole the warhead is one I I put around the circle because uh, yeah he says you know um, some underlings would have stole the warhead that's why it's gone mm. um, okay. and I just I don't oh, I'm sorry. Speaking, well, I was just going to say, speaking of underlings, did Shugo blow up or no? What do you think happened Ooh. to Shugo? Okay, let me. I'm going to take a sip of this wine, right. and then I'll get back to you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the good stuff. Actually, that wasn't wine. That was water. Uh, that, unless Jesus was here. No, that's water. Um, I've got I've got both here. I don't want to go out of hand. Um, um the first time I watched it, per the way most of the episodes have worked, I thought he died. Yeah, I thought so. Um, but 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 I watched it three times, and by the third time, I thought maybe he rolled out of it. I don't. It seems very slim, but the fact that they just let it go and don't reference it. Uh, I don't know. I well, thought I and and that's the thing. It's so hard to tell because you know they you know blew up a armored car full of people and went. Well, we're done here. So yeah. Hugo jumping out of the Black Beauty and blowing up would probably not even warrant a comment. <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. Especially, I mean, that's a very tense scene that they're in there. That's, it that's is. probably the. That's probably the most tense moment that Greenhorn and Cato have in the entire show. I think. I think. Yeah, what do the frogmen do? The, in comparison the, to the the one, the Trouble for Prince Charming, where we watched the maid make a bed for five minutes, <laughs> which was supposed to be tense and was not. We actually got yeah, actual yeah. tension here with these yes, three men yeah. sitting in a car. Where they have to sit, sit still, and it keeps cutting to the... Um, um, the meter that's whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, that's. I, I guess I feel like he died. I think. Yeah. In, at the end of the day, I, I feel like he he jumped the gun and, and shouldn't have done that. And, yeah, I feel the same uh, he, way. He succumbed to he, his injuries. Yeah, yeah. He he didn't trust uh, Greenhorn and Cato, and he should have. I think so. I I would trust Greenhorn and Cato if they were to walk into my back room right now i wish they wouldn't because they'd probably bring my dog back in and start she'd start barking but um so so what do you have anything else for this one any background any anything i think um i don't really have a whole lot of oh um just one little interesting thing um well two things the air we had a couple of air force people that we saw uh, in a scene with Scanlan. The Air Force captain was Dick Post, and he actually wrote a screenplay for um, Psycho A Go Go. I've never seen it, well, but now sounds, I kind of want to. That sounds very familiar. Because that's an amazing title yeah. for anything. The Air Force uh, colonel, uh, is played by Bernie Dobbins, uh, he does mostly stunts. Uh, he did, and he did stunts for uh, Bourbon Street Beat as well as other oh, wow. things, uh, including Dirty Harry, Blazing Saddles, Earthquake Tower Inferno, Poseidon Adventure, all that fun stuff. But he was also specifically Van Williams' stunt double for The Hunters and The Hunted. So I just thought oh, that was wow. an interesting tidbit. Yeah. Oh, wow. 
And the police chief, this I'm going to mention this because this this tickles me. The police chief was played by Tyler McVeigh, who was Dr. Alex Weinman in Night of the Blood Beast, which is um, one of my favorite episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, that's so fun, yeah. Everybody's named Steve. And oh, I think that's where they say. Yeah, yeah, I I think um my um my uh, 80s action films on the cheap. Uh, that that's not the title of it. What the hell is the title of it? it that's probably the title of it. Uh, I <laughs> I, mean, I look. Bring... I got it right here. Oh, eighties action movies on the cheap. I think. Yeah. Um, it's eighties action movies on the cheap. Oh, thank you, thank you so much. And and if you listen to this podcast, you've heard Kristen um, on the preview. Uh, talking, uh, uh, pitching the book, and thank you so much for that. I've never thanked you for that. (laughs) Um, But uh, I I postulate that in the 80s, Steve is the ultimate uh, action film hero name. Uh, But yeah, I forgot that. Night of the Blood Beast is super fun. It's not quite Roger Corman. It's like Gene Corman. But it's it's actually a a decent film that gets screwball when... Um, it has to reveal what's going on, and the um, the uh, yeah that MST episodes. That's the first one from the last season they did on Comedy Central, uh, season seven. Yeah, and that was super fun. Yeah, it's a super fun episode. Yeah, it I is. love that episode. Yeah, yeah. Because in my head, when stuff happens, like things will happen, and like suddenly, and I'll just in my head, I'll just go, and the Steves are there because that's what they said. <laughs> That joke sticks with me. Do you have anything else? Well, not on this episode, no. Do you have anything else on this episode? You know, I don't... um, I guess if we're at the end... I'm looking at my notes here. Those are my notes, folks. I think I'm done. Yeah. Rig for silent running. Under... uh, Under... Underlings stole the warhead. Yeah, I'm done. I'm done. I'm putting this away. Kristen, you you've been with me for quite some time. It's been a year, twenty six episodes, uh, and the Batman, whatever the heck the Batman, <laughs> two episodes were. <laughs> um, but but do you have? Could you please let's do just final thoughts on the series? What 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 did you what did you love about the series? What didn't you love? What 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 do you think about I... Green Hornet? I love the Green Hornet. I I do. I think the I think Green Hornet and Kato were were. I like them a little better than Batman and Robin as heroes, just just because they do have that edge to them and they're very suave. And I mean, it's Bruce Lee. Come on, you know I, the day for night gets on your nerves. You have to push through the day for night because there is a lot of it in this series. Yes. Um, yes. and some of the episodes don't quite. Some of them are okay. I mean, I don't think there was really a bad episode in the whole bunch. You either go from it's okay to I really like this. Yes, uh, I agree. Um, I agree. But you know, it's. I think it's a great series. I wish it wasn't. I wish we weren't talking about it on the short-lived <laughs> TV shows <laughs> because I wish it would have had yeah. more uh, more seasons. Because as we said, you could have gone so many places with Mabuse. It could have been. It could have been such a fun ride. And I'm sorry it wasn't longer because it is. It's a great series. I think people should watch it. Dig it out. It's it's good fun. I I, I don't I don't think I have very many different things to say there. Um, I, I think I think the show struggled to 
sometimes to to put its what it wanted to do into a like a 26 minute episode i i also think the struggle makes it today more watchable than possibly batman um because people watching maybe a batman episode today might see it and go it's a little it's a little slower pace than we'd like the green hornets are very fast paced sometimes to their detriment but a lot of times i think it works uh and sometimes they nail it and it's it's so good it's so good and the few two-parters they did eh, one of them was not so great one of them was pretty darn good and one of them was a hell of a lot of fun and i think here's the thing i love batman I, and and I you know I, do, I don't mean to to fully compare it to Batman but what I think this this time if you put in a time period you, you need to compare it to Batman I think Batman's first season the first half of se- uh, 66 and the the movie the theatrical release are pretty much spot on there are some episodes that stink sting up the joint but but you're pretty spot on. But when you actually settle in to Batman, it gets a little off because the camp thing, they can't quite do it. And there's no, there is no character development in Batman. Whereas there are moments in Green Hornet where you get a little bit extra. You get a little bit of delving into the characters and what they're up to and what they're doing. And... I really love that. Um, I would adore, and you could do it, a, a lovely, maybe, I want to say three-disc Blu-ray set of Green Hornet. Unfortunately, obviously, Van Williams and, and Bruce Lee have passed, and I think pretty much everyone else has passed. Um, but I can oh, I can talk about the episodes. Uh, Kristen could t- please if you're listening. The two of us could talk about the 26 episodes. Yes. I think I yeah exactly. I I think I grew up watching 66 Batman, 66 to 68 Batman, over and over and over again. But I only watched Green Hornet once, like 20 years ago. So watching it over the past year, it's a very good show. I think it's a very strong show. It has great action. It tells good stories. It has interesting characters. The last few episodes haven't had much Mike, but we've had a lot of Mike throughout it. And like the second season, I'd love to think that maybe Mike gets corrupted by Mabuse. Um, um, Mabuse. I'm sorry. Uh, you know the the guy from the this episode and the other one i'd love to think that 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 happened maybe he gets yeah you know it's like oh mike has been you know oh mabuse has has brought him in and stuff like that oh my gosh what's going on i i love it i i think this is one of my favorites so i think i think this show should be something if if you're interested if you're interested in anything we've said over the past 26 episodes 
you should watch it and you should enjoy it. And I will stop talking because I'm starting to babble because I've had a glass of wine. So where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. You can find all my rerun junkie posts there. Uh, all my other posts, my links to my published work, links to my Patreon. You can buy me a cup of coffee. i got something called Writing for Tips. And if you need my thoughts on the Green Hornet or anything else in real time, you can follow me on Twitter at KikiWrites. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dan. And, um, oh, they, yeah, what? <laughs> I say thank you so much. Um, we, we've been talking about this for the the, the past year. So, Kristen, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I I don't I don't know I don't know. I've had a glass of wine now, so I don't know. But thank you so much for joining me for this this the, you at at as of this moment on this show, which has been going for over two years. You you are the the longest running. Person, I mean, uh, longest non-returning running person on here. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. And let's, um, I guess let's here. Let's do this. We have never heard the closing credits for Green Hornet. We, I always play the opening at the beginning. Let's hear the closing. <laughs> Sad to see it go. I was enjoying those chats so much. Kristen has so much great trivia about all those actors and everything. It's just a, it was a good time. Sigh. So let me let me just let me just do a roll call. <clears throat> I feel like I'm at the end of a police squad episode. Cliffhangers, Beyond Westworld, Joni Love Shachi, Cobra, Police Squad, Voyagers, Manimal, The Immortal. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, Ellery Queen, Green Hornet, eleven show. Did I forget a show? Let me take a let me take a moment to think. You know, I, I took a moment to think. I think that's it, isn't it? Those eleven eleven shows done there, which is which is pretty cool. And you know, I'm cheating here because Future Cop only has two more episodes than a TV movie, so it'll be a twelve shortly. Did I? I really feel like I forgot a show. I'm if I shortchanged anyone i apologize adventure super train thank you so much everyone for listening this was episode 59 green hornet is done there will be a new short-lived tv show new brand new old short-lived tv show starting up soon esupertrain@yahoo.com is the email address feel free to write to me i don't check the email as much as i should because i'm a jerk thank you good night at eSuperTrain1 on Twitter, eventually SuperTrain on Facebook, eventually SuperTrain.blogspot.com is the site. And there are other places you can find me and things like that. I'll mention that again next time. But this episode's gone on a bit uh, simply because it was the final episode of something that we've been talking about for a year. So thank you so much for listening, everyone. See you next time. 
And this is how Vama produced those lightning bolts. What is it? It looks like a battery, isn't it? It is. It's a nickel-cadmium power cell. The boys in the lab rate its output at 25,000 volts. Now, you see, these wires ran from a compartment in her belt up to her insulated gloves. And by raising her arm, she activated it. Huh. What about the saucer everyone claimed to have seen? Well, the Air Force checked that out as a large weather balloon. Mabuse painted it with iridescent paint, and then he reflected some high-intensity strobe light off a large mirror onto the balloon. But how do they fake the crash? That was just uh, gasoline soaked over uh, junk metal. They hauled the balloon down on the ground, exploded it, and then set fire to the scrap metal. Of course, at night, it looked like the real thing. Huh. It's getting late, Mr. Reed. Oh, yeah. You uh, going somewhere? Terrace and Claire's birthday. We're going to the opera. Hey, uh, why don't you take this with you? You'll be a sensation. <laughs> no, thanks. I could never do justice to uh, Mama. <laughs> 